the United States Supreme Court overturns Roe v. Wade. Abortion rights. We'll be looking at that. The decision and what it means to us in the church community. This is episode number 734 of The Next Step, June 30th, 2022. Hi, this is Susie from In His Shoes Ministries welcoming you to a 15th season of The Next Step podcast with Father Vazgen. With these podcasts, Father Vazgen provides a very distinct and consistent voice for Armenian orthodoxy. It is the means for providing people an intelligent and practical answer to life's difficulties based on the solid principles of love, faith, and hope as expressed by our Lord, Jesus Christ. We produce these shows every week for a vast audience, which includes those who are searching for practical and deeper applications of faith, the disenfranchised members of the church community, and, of course, the neophyte. So we invite you to sit back, turn up the volume, and get ready to take the next step. Yeah, it kind of snuck up on us, didn't it, right? Just all of a sudden, (laughs) there was an announcement Um, I I think they were waiting for the right timing. Maybe not. I don't know. Talking about the abortion ruling that came out right after The Next Step was published last week. And so got a couple comments from people who said, hey, why didn't you comment on it? I'm sorry. (laughs) You know, we, we published on Thursday night and the ruling came out Friday morning. And kind of like caught us a little bit off guard, although we knew it was coming, right? There was a leak. There was a leak uh, last month or so, and they, somebody had leaked out what the Supreme Court was going to rule. So, anyway, I thought I'd, we'd talk a little bit about that, and I don't mean to make light of it, except that, you know, there's a couple things that you learn if you're doing a podcast for a long time, if you've been listening to talk radio for a long time, and if you've lived a long time, you kind of figure out there are a couple hot button issues. And I learned this many, many years ago. There was a talk show host, um, Jim Eason, in the in the Northern California area. I used to just enjoy listening to his show. I don't know what happened to him. I, I've Tried to find him ever since, and I think he passed. But um, Jim Eason used to make a comment that if you want to really have a topic that everybody will comment on, there's two hot-button issues. One is abortion, and the other is capital punishment, right? And so if you want to have people listening to you, I mean, if you're, if you're stuck and run out of ideas, right? Here's two of them that are guaranteed to give you an audience. I mean, this was a talk show host who said this, and I never forget it. Because also at that same time, I was serving up in the San Francisco Bay Area in, in Cupertino, and there was a, a an execution that was going to take place at San Quentin. I had been to San Quentin. I had visited, actually, Death Row. We had a, a there was a lady named Anahid. We had a tour of death row. We met with prisoners. We were there. Kind of, <laughs> I don't know what the deal was. This is about a 35-year-old story, okay? And uh, I don't know if they were trying to do PR for the prison or what. But we actually went to death row in San Quentin. This is, this is maximum security prison. And um, I remember it wasn't too long thereafter 
that an execution was being announced, a gas chamber execution of a death row prisoner. And I remember at San Quentin there was a protest that took place and maybe a handful of people showed up, 20, 20, 35, maybe 50. At the, no, it wasn't even 50, impossible. About 30 people showed up, max, to protest this, uh, this execution. And I remember in stark contrast that at the time there was so much about about abortion and there were actually bombings. Down in Cupertino, we had a doctor who was performing abortions who lived, I would say, a stone's throw from the church. It was, uh, it was a little park there called Jollyman Park right across the street. And I remember one day going to church and there was a mob of people blocking the roads and harassing him and yelling and screaming, protest signs and everything. We found out that the the guy who lived in that house was a doctor who was performing abortions. And I I think this contrast was, it, it was a stark contrast in my mind. And at that time that, you know, why is the unborn's life somehow more valuable than a life that has been lived, albeit a life that has been horribly lived, right, by all of our standards, something that is warrant, warranting capital punishment. But the it was just interesting that there was only like 30 people at that protest. Meanwhile, this is just not even a major protest. This is just a small protest at one of the doctor's houses. And, you know, just like hundreds, if not thousands of people were cramming on the streets. And subsequently, we have seen uh, people coming out on the streets and a lot of, uh, a lot of, lot of uh, protests, pros and cons, especially after the Supreme Court ruling. So I thought we'd talk a little bit about, uh, about the, the ruling and not to minimize the destruction that is caused by um, by by abortion by making it a topic here but after all you know what <laughs> there was one more thing that came to me this week and it was one of the guys that I work with in, in the in our media lab and we were talking about doing some protections and he says isn't it remarkable that in the Armenian churches not one person is talking about the abortion ruling almost to the fact that if you were to ask the priest do you know what Roe v. Wade is all about they would look at you and I know this is overly critical I know there's a lot of priests who are concerned about it but are we talking about it and what are we talking when I said I don't want to minimize the issue by in the hurt that it caused, I'm not talking about just the unborn child, the hurt that it's causing women, that the hurt it's causing people, uh, families, the destruction. And again, this is not about just abortion, about the holding back of abortion and what it means to personhood, what it means to civil rights, about human rights, about who we are, what we're doing. I want to talk about this. I, I think we need to. And you can't hold it away. If you're a church that is proclaiming that you are created in the image of God, that you have the ability to create, this creation is not just about bringing children into this world. It's about creating a life, creating what you have all around you. And certainly there's self-destiny is in there. You believe that 
you have the ability to create your own destiny, then can you hold back the rights to self-determination? And these are all issues that, that come about with this ruling that was made just last week. So let's look at the ruling real quickly. So back in 1970s, I believe it was 1973, the Supreme Court of the United States said that abortion was constitutionally protected. And this is what's famously called the Roe v. Wade, Roe versus Wade. And you can check out the, the specifics of it. But basically, the ruling was this, that the United States Constitution, in the form that it's in, guarantees that women have the right to an abortion. And in that, they understand that the, that the child belongs to the woman, that the child is a part of that woman, and therefore the child... Uh, is protected, so much so that the woman says that it is protected. If the woman decides to have a, an abortion, she is in her right to have the, the child aborted. Okay, That was the Roe v. Wade ruling. So what happened was last week they overturned that. And the overturn means that it is no longer constitutionally guaranteed. And so now you have these politicians in a lot of the states Oh, so when, excuse me, so when I said it's overturned, it means that they throw it back to the states. We have a democracy here where you're made up, it's a republic, and you have 50 different states. And so uh, among those 50 states, there are different rules and regulations. The Supreme Court threw it back on the states and said, it is up to the states to decide what's going to happen in the case of abortion. If you want to have it, you can. And so it means that there's some technical issues that are going to be coming up. And, uh, you know, all of this is <laughs> technical legalism. At the end of the day, there are children being born. At the end of the day, there are children that are not being born. There are people whose lives are all messed up, whose lives are going to get even more messed up one way or another. I mean, whether you have an abortion or you are not allowed to have an abortion, you know, there's going to be lives and all kinds of consequences to this. But underlying this is the language that we're speaking. For instance, you just heard me talk about this, right? And it's a subtle little uh, nuance in our language, but we talk about it as a child. Well, the minute you talk about it as a child, you come out with this whole different uh, set of standards that have to be there to protect the child. For people who are on the, the side of abortion, they want to talk about that it is not a viable entity, that, that fetus. And so it is not a child. And rightly so. If you call it a child, then you're talking about murder. If you call it a fetus, then you're talking about a, a part of um, a part of anatomy, right? Whether whatever it may be, even if the fetus is viable, even if the fetus is has a heartbeat and uh, is looking around and everything like that. Sorry, I know it gets a little bit graphic and everything, but those words are important. How you identify what is inside the mother, and so if you can do it without referring to it as a child, then. You know, it's a lot easier to go about with an abortion, aborting that fetus. Now, um, this gets really hairy even more because there are certain regulations that are put on by states. For instance, some states will say, well, abortion is only allowed in the case of uh, if, it's, if the child is harmful to the mother's health. Well, what does that mean? 
What is that, what is that supposed to mean? Who's going to decide if that child is harmful to the mother's health? What about the mother's psychological health? Does that matter, or is it just physical health? You have to you have to identify that, and um, that yeah that that I chose that word intentionally. It's it is hairy. For instance, if um, the child being inside of a mother is bringing about issues of high blood pressure. Is that enough to, you know, say that, okay, this is harmful to the woman's health? We need to have an abortion. I mean, what's the standard? How about women who have cancer, right? They need to have chemotherapy, and now she's pregnant, right? Well, the child itself is not a detriment to the woman's health, but her chemotherapy will be a detriment to the child, and you can't do that. You can't introduce chemotherapy while she's pregnant. You can't be putting all kinds of toxins into this woman's system, right, while she's pregnant. So you hold her off of chemotherapy for nine months during the period of gestation. And so, yes, that's going to be a detriment to her health, right? So does that warrant an abortion? Do you see what I'm talking about? There's so much gray area in this. And we tend to just make it into a very simple thing. And especially churches have a, a real nice way of doing this too. Not really thinking about all the consequences. You kind of like assume, okay, we're Christian, therefore we are against abortion. No, it, it can't work that way. It can't work that way. And that's why, I, you know, there's going to be people. And that's why I made that little disclaimer at the beginning. This is not about the definitive word of the Armenian church about abortion. It's about thinking about it, about talking about it, about sharing about it. I've seen people's lives as a pastor of 40 years. I've seen people's lives be ruined by abortion. I've seen people's lives be ruined by not, by the inability to have an abortion. I've seen people who have thought about these things. I've spoken, engaged with people. And, of course, you start thinking about, well, you've heard it many times. What if Albert Einstein's mother decided to abort him? What if Isaac Newton's uh, mother decided? What if Thoreau? What if somebody's you know, famous person's mother decided to abort? And then the con the opposite is, what if... Hitler's mother was allowed to abort. Would it have saved um, the lives of 12 million people? I, I mean, you know, you can do these mental exercises ad nauseum. It's not going to give you any answers. But like I said earlier, hey, you know, that mental gymnastics is really what people are looking for. It's that chance. It's really that opportunity to talk about something that they know is like important but really don't want to really give it too much importance. Like, it's enough. It's enough for me to just say yes or no to this question. And it isn't a yes or no question. And there is so much that's going on, especially within the life of the mother, her ability to to chart out her own destiny. And you've got to also think about she didn't get there by accident, right? I, I don't mean that figuratively. In other words, there was a man involved. What is that man? Does that man have any responsibilities? If so, if that man has responsibility, does he have any rights to that child? These are all questions that keep coming up, and it's part of that debate. But I want to share with you a small little writing that I heard just this morning. I read this just this morning. A friend of mine had posted this on, on his site, and I thought it was so appropriate because I was preparing for today's next step. 
and uh, it just kind of put everything in perspective. It comes from a, a a Christian pastor, actually a traditional Christian pastor, Dave Barnhart. And just listen to this. Let me read it through and then let's dissect it. It says, The unborn are a convenient group of people to advocate for. They never make demands of you. They are morally uncomplicated, unlike the incarcerated, the addicted, or the chronically poor. They don't resent your condescension or complain that you are not politically correct. Unlike widows, they don't ask you to question patriarchy. Unlike orphans, they don't need money, education, or child care. Unlike aliens, they don't bring all that radical, cultural, and religious baggage that you dislike. They allow you to feel good about yourself without any work at creating or maintaining relationships. And when they are born, you can forget about them because they cease to be unborn. It's almost as if by being born, they have died to you. You can love the unborn and advocate for them without substantially challenging your own wealth, power, or privilege, without reimagining social structures, apologizing, or making reparations to anyone. They are, in short, the perfect people to love if you want to claim you love Jesus, but actually dislike people who breathe. (laughs) Let me read that again. The unborn are the perfect people to love if you want to claim you love Jesus, but actually dislike people who breathe. Prisoners, immigrants, the sick, the poor, widows, orphans, all the groups that are specifically mentioned in the Bible, they all get thrown under the bus for the unborn. This is from... uh, a Christian pastor pastor named Dave Barnhart. And I, I think he puts his finger right on it. Exactly what we're talking about today. It's about it's just a, one of those convenient things that you get to talk about. And yeah, they're the unborn, they're, they're nice, they're soft. It, it, and, you know, unfortunately, those of, those of you living here in America know what I'm talking about. These last... Six, seven years have been really, really grueling for us with the amount of disinformation that's come out, and especially from the top position of the presidency. And one of those myths that came out, I think, in the early teens, I think it was 2015 or so, but I know that it was one that the Trump administration played off on, was the the idea of afterbirth abortion, which is... It doesn't even make sense, right? After birth, abortion is murder. But you keep hearing about it. In fact, just the other day, somebody came up to me and says, yeah, but look at this. The Democrats want after birth abortion. 
And I, I, it was the first time that I had heard it. And subsequently, I went and looked it up and t- saw the history of it. Yeah, 2015, there was somebody who came out and they were talking about some people who have abortions and they they still, the, the fetus is intact and they are born with all kinds of defects. Should we go ahead and euthanize them? After birth, abortion is really euthanasia. That's what that word is. In other words, that a life is no longer found that you can't live that life anymore and you've decided that somebody along the way has decided that you have to end that life. And this is where religion comes in and says, who has that right to take away that life? And in the Christian tradition, it's like only God can take away. Well, when is that life a life, right? Two people coming together, they create what scientists call the zygote. They, it's the, the union of the sperm and the egg. Is that a human being? Well, there are people who say, yes, that's a human being. That's, that's inception. At inception, that is a human being. How about at five weeks? How about at five months? How about at seven months? How about at eight months when inside everything, well, at that point it is viable, right? But I had never heard this one, after birth abortion. I mean, just the name itself is misleading, right? If the child is born, then if you kill that child, that is in the, that is in the category of murder. After birth <laughs> is a live human being, if you kill that, that goes into the category of murder. It is not abortion. Abortion means you you take it out. You abort it before it is born. But anyway, this is, shows you how wild the political climate has become, so much so that they start talking about these absurdities, absurdities not just because of what they are or what they aren't or the, what they are not, just absurd because the language doesn't even make sense. And so we come to this point right now. <sighs> Did I give you too much to think about? I, I'm, I'm really uh, hurting by all of this. I keep thinking about all of this and just, it, it's really wild where and where it goes. But that is part of what we celebrate here in the United States, particularly this week. Because it happens to be the anniversary of independence. And one of the the setbacks of independence is that freedom that we have to, 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 to speak, to think. And yes, inside of that context, freedom of speech. That's right. Inside of that context, you can have that ability to have these kind of conversations. And people are having it. And some of them turn out to be very... Um, absurd, absurd, far-fetched ideas. And so that's what uh, America gives us the opportunity to do, to talk about some of these things as we're doing right now. Let's continue right after the break because I think there's a lot we've talked about, a lot of ideas to think about. So why don't you start, do a mental uh, categorization of everything we talked about and we'll come and we'll continue after the song of the day. I'm selecting something very special to celebrate the anniversary of independence here in the United States. America the Beautiful.
your spacious skies for amber waves of green for purple mountains majesty above the fruited plain America America God shed his grace on thee and crowned thy good with brotherhood from sea to shining sea. The artist is Kebmo. Yeah, did you think that was Ray Charles? Yeah, it sounded like it, didn't it? Anyway, Kebmo, that is off of an album called Freedom, The Heart of America. And uh, I believe, let's see, what's the date on that? 2001 was when that was recorded. A beautiful rendition of America the Beautiful. Kebmo is the artist, blues musician. Extraordinaire, right? Anyway, I will have a link on today's show notes. You can check out the musician, the music, the song, and, well, like I always say, support the musicians. They make our life so much prettier. America the Beautiful. In one of his novels, Leo Tolstoy deals with the idea of punishment. How do we punish people for different crimes that they commit? And in so doing, he talks about 
the different laws that regulate punishment, the regulation of punishment. And this is nothing new. I mean, Victor Hugo did this um, in, in looking at, at the French uh, system of, of justice and most notably, of course, Dostoevsky. But we have in Leo Tolstoy, in, in particular in the novel Resurrection, where he's talking about uh, the idea of how we go about punishing. And, you know, the other day when I was looking at the discussion of of abortion on social media, my mind went to this little line inside of Tolstoy's novel. So I went over and I, I quickly found it, and sure enough, I had underlined it. I want to just share it with you, okay? He's talking about the the hero of the story, uh, story Nekludov. He is trying to overrule a ruling that was made about a prisoner. Um, and, and he approaches the Senate, and... He's now talking with his brother-in-law about the actions of the Senate. Listen to what he says. Well, if the Senate has rejected it, there cannot have been sufficient reasons for an appeal, said the brother-in-law. Okay. Evidently, this is Tolstoy or the narrator of the story, evidently sharing the prevailing opinion that truth is the product of judicial decree. In other words, so often we think that the truth is because of judicial decree. Like if it gets solved in a court, that must be true. And what we're finding out now is that no, not necessarily. And I'd say in the, at least in the last 30, 40 years, the last four or five decades, let's go back a little bit more, especially after Watergate and everything. It's not about what's going on in in the judicial process as opposed to what's going on in the political world. And we're seeing that even more now. But here's the, here's the interesting part. Evidently sharing the prevailing opinion that truth is the product of judicial decree. Can you say the same about social media? Evidently people feel that by writing something on social media, they have, at least, at the very, very least, they have done something and have eliminated uh, their their guilt about their inaction about that topic. And I felt this about uh, what was going on with the abortion uh, ruling just last Friday here in the United States. And right afterwards, everyone went on to the social media. They went to the streets one way or another. People were talking uh, pros. People were talking cons to what happened and the ruling. And I think there is this prevailing, this prevailing opinion that somehow, <laughs> somehow what's going on in the courts or in the judicial system, that's basically the truth. Whereas if you look at it, exactly what we were talking about a few minutes ago, it's really just a matter of these words that people are using. I, I suggested to you that when they talk about after-birth abortions, I mean, it doesn't even make sense, right? After-birth, and I don't mean to be rude about it, after-birth, if there is a death, it could be ruled as a murder. And of course, there are many advocates who talk about euthanasia, about us returning back to, I believe, Oregon and Washington, the states, I believe. I'm not sure they have euthanasia policies. That, you know, if, if the 
illness is so grave if the reasons for living just don't make sense. At some point, somebody could rule that this is what you do. Actually, Jack Kevorkian, who we happen to know because he was Armenian, actually uh, was an interesting fellow because they always pinned euthanasia with him. He wasn't about euthanasia. Go and find his first book. Let me see. If we can, I'll definitely put a link on today's show notes. It's worth reading. It's worth reading his first book because what he was really talking about was not about euthanasia. He was talking about the carelessness with which we dispense life, dispense with life. Uh, In particular, he was talking about prisoners. And this came from the 14th century. I forgot which king, Armenian king, who had this policy in Armenia. And that was that there was a death row and there were people who were sentenced to capital punishment. They would die. And what they would do is instead of just killing them, they would uh, harvest their organs. Is that the right word for it? They would take their organs. Let's say it just plainly, right? Take their organs and use them in transplants. I don't know what they did in the 14th, 15th century, but that's what I remember uh, in the book. Yes, I will definitely put a link. I would love it if you read it. I I would love to go back and read it. So here's the thing. Today, we have so many people dying unnecessarily because they can't find the proper organs for transplant. At the same time, there are people who are being killed, executed by the state. Now, can you... Can you um, make a link between these two people? Can you tie these people together? In other words, these people who are being executed, would they be willing to give their organs for donation so that someone else would live? So Jack Kevorkian actually went out there and he interviewed these uh, prisoners. And I can't remember, it was a startling statistic of something like 99% of them said, yes, sure, take my organs. I mean, I don't need them anymore. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be fried in a little bit. Sorry, didn't mean it that graphically, but you get the idea. Electrocution was the big deal then. Today is by lethal injection. One way or another, they're gonna be killed. So why not get those organs and use them for people who can use them? And Jack Kevorkian found that yeah, there were people who would be willing to do that. He later on went on to make his na- name for. Um, providing euthanasia services and advocating for euthanasia. In other words, killing people because there was no other alternative. The ultimate peace, let's say it like that. And there were many fine, there were many uh, books written at the time. I think if I remember right, there was one called No Exit or No Final Exit, excuse me. That was a Sartre. That was, that was the existentialist. That was a completely different um, way of of avoiding the pain and suffering. No, um, it was called Final Exit, right? And it was about self-deliverance, about assisted suicide for the dying. 
And uh, when you use that word suicide, you got to be careful because in the word suicide, too, there's the idea that somehow you are doing away with the pain. But sometimes the, the sudden suicide or the one that is not publicized or people are not ready, all you've done is you've shifted that pain that you are enduring onto others, uh, namely those who are left and those who are grieving. So all of these that, that I'm presenting and I'm talking about, there's a lot of words that are being used whether it's murder, abortion, uh, suicide, euthanasia. These are all ways of terminating a life. Interesting enough, in the Armenian language, there are multiple ways of conveying the, 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 the idea of death. Mahanal, Mernil, Nunchel, uh, to sleep, actually. Literally means to sleep, but it's used for uh, the dead, nunchetselots, they are they are asleep. Uh, Mernil is just dying. Mahanal. There is vachchanil. Vachchanil is used for people of royalty or the priesthood. They do not mernil. They don't die. They vachchanil. They they finish off. And on the uh, conversely, for animals, it's sadgil. What I'm saying is that there's a multitude of ways of expressing death. And so, too, in the English language, we have multi multiple ways of expressing the dying process. It's interesting, right? Not so much death. Death is death. But you have multiple ways of, of expressing the dying process. Today, we're talking about abortion. And when you look at abortion, you, you get into that entire semantics, too. Where, at what point is that life? So bring it back, back down to the very, very basics. And I'm saying this because a lot of times what Christians make a mistake is they assume the entire world is on, their, is on the same page as them, right? Okay, so if you want to say that that embryo, that, that entity or that thing that's inside of a mother's womb is a life, that's fine. You can say that. In which case, abortion then would be akin, not necessarily murder, but would be akin to murder. But there, not everybody accepts that that uh, definition of life. It's not just the uh, of the the sperm and the egg meeting and creating life. There is, I know, I know all the statistics that at one week, at two weeks, you can detect heartbeat and so on. No, no. What we're talking about, at what point is it life? At what point does it have a soul? Religious people will say, well, the soul enters at different points. Uh, some say it's right at conception. Some say just before uh, childbirth. In which case, you then can justify, well, abortion's okay. And so there's so many different ways that the abortion issue is processed and is brought to people that it's really absurd to think that people are looking at this today and thinking it's a black and white case you know and they're saying abortion except for the case of incest yeah that's a big one right because you have the weakening of of, of the gene pool when brother and sister procreate yeah, there, there, there's some issues there right the genes, not only brother and sister, but cousins. They shouldn't be. But we know many people who are cousins and they they have had children. Now, what do you do with those children? 
In fact, I know some in particular who, who've had very tragic experiences. First cousins, yeah. Married and the church doesn't allow that. The church doesn't allow that for a variety of reasons. One of which is because I think early on in the game, they kind of saw that it doesn't work. You can't bring children. And the church has always been concerned about the welfare of the children, of what we call, quote unquote, legitimizing the family. You've heard probably today, it's kind of an archaic term, but the child is illegitimate. It's it's an absurd term, right? All children are legitimate. But when they use that term, they were talking in a legal standpoint, illegitimate in the sense that they that child was not created, was not brought into this world through the union of a husband and a wife. Okay? So you get into the idea of marriage, and the marriage goes back from time eternal. It's not just a Christian concept. It's not just in the Judeo-Christian world. It's throughout the world that basically it promoted monogamy. And why? Why would it promote monogamy? Because the welfare of the children. You wanted to make sure that those children were, were growing up with a father and a mother. But along comes the new, the new world. And today we're seeing, as we all know, the modern family has many components to it. Many components where we have same-sex uh, couples. We have uh, families that are made up of stepchildren, of adopted children, of so many different variations of that family unit. And the church is kind of like on the outside looking in and saying, hey, well, wait a minute. We were talking about man and woman. And now we're seeing that, wait, there's other things that are taking place. Because what happens is marriage is a function of the state. The state gives you a license. Even until today here in the United States, as a priest, I can officiate, but it's the state that gives the license for the couple to get married. And up until five, six, seven years ago when same-sex unions were approved, it would be a license that would have the name of one man and one woman. Today, you can have a variety. You can have two women. You can have two men. Now, as far as what the church does, the church cannot uh, bless the union of same-sex couples because for the church, again, Listen to this. It's not about a judgment, but it's about a definition. For the church, the definition of marriage is the union of a man and a woman. So it's it's not about like, <laughs> the, you know, you're bad, you're you're evil, you're sinful. Those those kind of talks are archaic because who is it that lives and does not sin? Okay, first clean up your act, Jesus says. Then you can start talking about other people. No, it's a definition issue. So when the church says that marriage is between a man and a woman, all we're saying is, okay, this is inside of our dictionary. And that dictionary has not been changed. That's how we view it. And I know people will go to the extent, extent of uh, citing biblical. Those don't matter. They really don't matter. Because I'll tell you something, people believe what they believe. I know, that's a shocker, isn't it? People believe what they believe. And you can, you, you can quote all you want, 
but there are people who will believe what they believe. In fact, just a couple days ago, um, I was at a funeral where we had several prominent clergymen express themselves about Christian faith and everything. And still, at the reception afterwards, or what do they call that, the hokajosh, the the memorial gathering afterwards, somebody got up, and with full acknowledgement of the clergy there, just got up and expounded her own uh, Christian philosophy. That this is what Jesus said, and this is what this is what we believe. And wait, 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 hold it. Who said this is what we believe? Well, she did, right? And she believes that. I have no doubt that she she's sincere in her in her reflection. But it's not the Christian belief that I have. And can you accept that? If you can accept that, then we're a step uh, further. But unfortunately, what we do is we start putting up divisions and say, well, this is what it is. This is what Christ wanted to say. And to be honest with you, you know, it's a very limited document, the, the Bible. It talks about what was going on back in Christ's time. And there were certain issues that he did not address himself about. He said, for this reason shall a man, he quoted scripture by saying, for this reason shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cling to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Wherefore, what God hath joined together, let no man ever separate or, bo- or um, never put asunder. I, know, I like separate. Okay, let's not use archaic language for this. It's tough enough as it is trying to trying to sift through this, right? Okay, so he, he does say that, right? He quotes scripture and he says, this is what it is. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Talking about the marital bond that there is over there, okay? Now, what about same-sex marriage? What did Jesus say about that? We don't know. We don't know. He said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother. But we don't know. It, was there was there homosexuality at the time? Of course there was. What was his take on it? Was he ever approached about it? If he was, what, it wasn't documented. Maybe it wasn't something that was being talked about. You know, okay. Now we get to the issue of abortion, where we're at today. And so you ask yourself, what did Jesus say about abortion? Well, nothing. There's nothing written in there. He did talk about the sanctity of life. He did say that life is precious. He also said that God takes care of us, right? And he also said that what we have in this world is not everything, but there is eternal life. And this flesh and bone is is temporary, but there's an whole eternity. Now, in all of that that you hear, there are people who are going to extrapolate and take away different messages and different ways of perceiving what Jesus was talking about, right? It would be different if Jesus said, oh, by the way, no abortions. <laughs> okay, you could put a period on that. But the way he talks about love and God and caring for us and eternity and everything, it gives you a lot of leeway for different interpretations. And that's what people do. People take interpretations. And that's why it's so important to go back to what the church or the body of Christ came up with in formulas. But it's not enough to stop there because you realize that those formulas that were given 
or those those answers that the church gave have to withstand the test of time and today they do not they do not we are in a world where people have forgotten about these things does it, people have ignored these things and you say well that's their problem yeah you could say that but in reality it's also the church's problem because these are our children and for us to be able to educate in a proper way is the commandment that we have in front of us. And so we go back to this very important statement that we read earlier, this pastor who comes out and he says, the unborn are convenient group of people to advocate for. They never make demands of you. They are morally uncomplicated, unlike the incarcerated. And then he opens up the can of worms. Okay, you're talking about this, about abortion. How about the prisoners? How about the immigrants? Do you know that just two days ago, a group of immigrants coming to the United States were trapped in a, in a truck in sweltering hot temperatures down on the Texas border. They died. They didn't even have the basic human uh, need of water. Fifty people died in a truck trying to get to America. Are we talking about that? Are we talking about immigration, making immigration accessible to people before immigration? Are we talking about what's going on in these countries that these people want to escape? What about the sick? What about the poor? What about the widows or orphans? You know, we talk a good talk about keeping these, uh, uh, keeping people away from abortions. But on the other hand, are we able to take care of these children after birth? We did talk about, and there was a nice conspiracy about after birth abortion, that absurd idea. How about after birth care? Are we caring for these children? Are we making birthing an option for people? And if so, what is the quality of that life? Does quality matter? At what what extent of quality? What if that kid is just uh, in a in a mediocre middle class family? Is that acceptable? What if it's uh, in a poor family? What if it's in economically you know just somewhere about higher or lower class, right? What about class systems and everything? There's so many complexities to it. And we're not talking about these things. We have found a convenient thing to get up and talk about this word abortion. About this word that talks about aborting a fetus. And we've come up with all kinds of legalese to discuss it. Rather than looking at the the main culprit. Which is our complete disrespect for life. Completely. Whether it's the ecology, whether it's our time that we give our children, whether it's just the very basic flow that's happening. For instance, I know they talk a very big, big, big talk. The conservative camp here in the United States with their television station Fox that came out against the main networks. And they talk about the media as if they're not part of the media. You know, The media is the culprit. Well, let me tell you about that media. Okay, there is a show that is called The Family Guy. Okay, it's a cartoon, but it's a show very popular and it's 
featured on Fox. I, I believe it's still in syndication. I still, it's still in production. Check it out. Okay. Here's a show that is on the conservative network Fox. And what are the topics? Well, first of all, most of the topics are are, are those humorous things that when you, you know when you were in junior high, you'd snicker at, you'd laugh. Today it's being marketed. And the way you tell the market for these is you look at the sponsors. Okay? Who are the sponsors aiming at? Are they selling life insurance for people over 65? Then you kind of got an idea of who's watching it. Are they selling drinks for young children, like Kool-Aid and stuff? Then you've got an idea of who, because they're spending millions of dollars. They're not going to waste it. They've got a target audience. Is it is it kids in their teens? Is it uh, young adults? Whatever it is, okay? They're making some money off showing this cartoon. Now, he's saying, well, it's a cartoon. What's wrong? Okay, listen to this. What is a topic on this? Yeah, you snicker at the, the jokes just the way you would if you were in grade school. I mean, that's the level of mentality that's there. There's absolutely nothing beyond that. It's not like The Simpsons where you can actually kind of figure out that, hey, there is something being said over here. Now, in this one, it's about... Well, the topics range from anything from um, incest to bestiality, about having sex with minors, having sex with people in your local area with the dog and everything, and laughing at the whole thing and wondering, ah, this is okay, this feels good and everything. And this is the same, same, same network that will go out there on a limb to tell you that, hey, we are a different network. We are the conservative voice. Okay, that's fine. You want to be the conservative voice? Then don't peddle this smut, right? Don't peddle this because you're making a few dollars on it. Do you see what I'm saying? It's just the same thing as the abortion issue. They don't care about it. It sells. It sells to talk about sex. It t- sells to talk about about abortion. It sells to talk about controversy. These are issues that they like to sell to you. And you need to rise above it. Jesus' respect for life is above all else. His love for life, his equating us with the children of God. If we understand that, all of this other discussion that we're having becomes objects for us to help rather than to judge. Because that's what Fox does. It's basically judging without taking the log out of your own eye. Before you do that, before you judge, Jesus says, if you see the speck in your brother's eye, first remove the log. So we need to mellow out a little bit, kind of understand what is really important. Can we get back to the basics of Jesus Christ telling us the importance and sanctity of that life? And if we believe that, trust me, all of the other things fall into place. I'm up against the clock. I think we've gone already two, three minutes over. I hope you've been with me. Um, Piano player's been sitting here trying to get into the studio. He's in. So here's Susie to make her announcement. 
Before getting back to the next step with Father Vazgen, I'd like to take this opportunity to remind you that this ministry is supported through the heartfelt donations of listeners like you. Thanks for keeping us in your prayers and partnering with this expanding and dynamic outreach. The next step is entering homes and communities with a solid message proclaiming God's message of love, forgiveness, and compassion. We look forward to your comments and words of encouragement. Please consider partnering in this dynamic ministry by making a contribution. By pressing on the donate button on our website, you can set up automatic donations, either weekly, monthly, or annually. Your donation goes a long way in furthering this ministry. Even more, tell your friends and family by sharing the Next Step link or website with them. We're on iTunes and Blueberry as well as Facebook and Twitter. We are excited about this ministry and invite you to share in our enthusiasm. This is Susie wishing you all of God's blessings in your life. We now return to the next step with Father Vazgen. Thank you, Susie, for that announcement. And thank you to all of you, our listeners, our supporters, our prayer partners, people praying for us. And know that I pray for you. Every day, I'm thankful for this ministry that God has given us. I want you to put down on your calendar, September 25th, it is the launch of NewApostle.net. Everything's going to be ready to roll on that day. You're not going to want to miss it. Just put it on your calendar. Mark your calendar right now, September 25th, 2022. Well, that about does it for today's show. I wanted to just um, let you know the cover that you saw today. It's a small, it, it was some rocks that I had taken out of a little pool area in our backyard. And I had put them in this little box. And today, after last week, we had a, a rain shower, a monsoon actually, here in Southern California. It gave us a little bit of water, a little bit of mud, and we have plenty of sunshine and what you see is amidst those rocks, there are little little signs of life growing. I thought, wow, we're going to reach in there and we're going to take these out. We're going to abort these small little plants. I thought it was an appropriate cover for today. And that's one more meditation that I give you today. I will be at the St. Leon Cathedral, Armenian Cathedral in Burbank, California this Sunday. Monday happens to be Independence Day, one of the great ones. I will put a link on to one of our Independence Day shows if you're so inclined. We got carried away with so much today. I didn't get a chance to talk about the most important gift that God has given us, that ability to be free and that, that inalienable right that comes with it the pursuit of happiness uh we'll talk about more about that check out the show notes i'll put one of our old fourth uh, of july episodes on there i know you'll enjoy it. okay that does it for today's show on behalf of the wonderful crew that put it together Susie, our producer and myself father boss and we look forward to seeing you again next week when we will take the next step stand by for disclaimer and now here's the fine print 
The information and comments presented within this podcast and our website do not necessarily represent the views of the Armenian Church hierarchy, but are presented as a challenge to define the dynamics of Armenian Orthodoxy in all aspects of life. Listening to these shows is habit-forming. Addictive behavior associated with the next step is rarely, if ever, remedied. Rather, the next step is known to relieve and cure common cases of narrow-mindedness, prejudice, numbskullness, and glaucoma in patients over the age of 20. Results may vary depending on credit rating. Findings are based on double-blind studies conducted in Istanbul and Jerusalem. Side effects include mind expansion, clarity of focus, higher rates of heart palpitations, sensitivity to the pain of others, and occasional nausea. Demandment and production crew of vpostle.net take full responsibility for changes you will experience. Not valid with any other offer. I forgot to ask you if uh, you're seeing the same sky as we are. Uh, Bye.